a.m. Welcome back to the 2 a.m. Book Review Club, where we stay up late talking about books or talk about books that made us stay up late. So, a few weeks ago on this podcast, I had an episode called Recreating Real Women, where I talked about historical fiction books that attempt to bring to life real women in history. In that episode, you may have noticed that my feelings towards this phenomenon are somewhat mixed, I guess is the right word. Because I do think that it's a really good thing that we're bringing attention to the lives of these women. And I also recognize that it's really difficult to do. It's difficult to reconstruct a real living person from the often scarce primary sources that you're able to find. How do you even begin to take letters and newspaper articles and, if you're really lucky, journal entries and turn those into a character with independent thoughts in a complex inner world and believable motivations and ideals and beliefs? It's hard, obviously, and I think that it's important to recognize that anyone who even attempts to do this with some level of commitment to veracity is definitely worthy of praise on a level that no critic can ever take away. Even when it comes to a book like The Second Mrs. Astor, which If you listened to my Recreating Real Women episode, then you know that I was incredibly bored by that book. But even when it comes to a book like that, I think it's still praiseworthy that the author sat down and did the research and wrote the book. It's like Anton Ego says in Ratatouille, right? But the bitter truth we critics must face is that in the grand scheme of things, the average piece of junk is probably more meaningful than our criticism designating it so. No matter how much I don't like a book, I do have to acknowledge the time and the effort and the dedication that went into creating it. And just because I, a single person, an individual reader out of millions and billions of readers, just because I didn't like it, that doesn't take anything away from the very real fact that an author tried to bring to life a fascinating woman who's been largely ignored by history and whom I now know of thanks to that author's book. Nothing I say is ever going to erase that. And I don't and I don't want that furthermore, you know? I don't I don't want my words to erase the impact of someone else's work. However, at the same time, as I read more into this specific subgenre of historical fiction, the more I seem to find that I have thoughts thoughts that I want to discuss today in what you might consider to be a follow-up episode or a part two to that episode I did a few weeks ago, Recreating Real Women. And I'm going to be conducting this follow-up, this part two, via a discussion of a book 
that is once again recreating a real woman. And that book is The Only Woman in the Room. I am going to give my usual spoiler warning here, my spoiler alert. If you don't want spoilers, you probably shouldn't listen to this episode, even though I'm not going to spoil anything exactly since this is the actual life of a real and well-known person. However, spoilers ahead if you want to read this book spoiler-free, so you have been warned. So, The Only Woman in the Room by Marie Benedict is a somewhat recent release. It came out in 2019, and it follows the life of the famous Golden Age Hollywood actress Hedy Lamarr, who was also an incredibly inventive scientist. I was aware of both Hedy Lamarr and her scientific achievements before I ever read the book, but what I wasn't aware of was everything she went through before she got to Hollywood. She was born Hedy Keisler in Austria to a Jewish family. That part really surprised me because I had no idea she was Jewish, but... If you think about it for a moment, she did come of age in Vienna in the 1930s. So, um, you know, it's not really all that surprising since Hitler took over Austria in 1938. But obviously the groundwork for that annexation had been going on for years by that point. Hetty apparently started acting at a young age and was fairly well known by the time she was a teenager. That part didn't surprise me as much. I feel like it's not an uncommon background for famous actors. But here's where her story gets really interesting. When she was 18, she was married to the much older Fritz Mandel. Mandel. Fritz Mandel? Yes. When she was 18, she was married to the much older Fritz Mandel, who was an arms dealer known as the Merchant of Death. It was an abusive marriage to nobody's surprise because the kind of guy who marries a teenager when, you know, the guy is much older, is generally not the kind of guy who's interested in said teenagers for their personality or intelligence. Let's be real here. Hetty was eventually able to escape this marriage, and from there, she was able to make her way to Hollywood. But by the time she was in her early 20s, before she ever got to Hollywood, she had already lived a crazy life, and I had no idea about any of it until I read this book. Hetty's early life is the first part of this book, and then the second part follows her career in Hollywood up until the United States enters World War II. So, I think that's enough for now about Hetty herself. Let's talk about this book. So, I am going to get a little critical here, so I do want to start by giving some positive thoughts on this book because I do have positive thoughts. First, I do really like that 
Hetty's insanely unbalanced relationship with Fritz Mandel isn't romanticized at all. If you listened to my Recreating Real Women episode, then you know I had a lot of issues with the very similar relationship between an 18-year-old and a much older, very wealthy man in The Second Mrs. Astor. In that book, I definitely feel like the relationship was being portrayed as this epic love story, when in reality, it couldn't realistically have been anything other than a very predatory, very unhealthy relationship. And so in particular with that book, I had a lot of issues with the way in which the protagonist's perception of her relationship was never challenged when it was obvious to me that that shift towards a more realistic perception of her relationship should have been the main character arc in the book. Fortunately, in today's book, The Only Woman in the Room, I did not have that same issue. There are ominous undertones from the very beginning of their relationship that only escalate into full-blown abuse. And there's this sense that Hetty is very much swept along by the momentum of something that, as a sheltered 18-year-old still living at home, she can't really control. And what I liked in particular is Hetty's assumption that because Fritz is able to give her things that men her own age can't, and I don't just mean physical things, I mean experiences and conversations and so on, because her experiences with Fritz are beyond anything she can compare them to, she thinks that what she feels for him is love. And I think that this kind of realistic portrayal of what a relationship between a young woman and a much older, very wealthy man would be like, I feel like that kind of portrayal is really valuable in a world where these kinds of relationships are often romanticized and idealized. Basically, the first half of this book is Fifty Shades of Grey, but if it was realistic. And I think that's an important message. Something else I really like about this book is that it's fast-paced, mostly due to the fact that the chapters are pretty short. There were very few chapters that were longer than 10 or 15 ebook pages. I think this works particularly well in the first half of the book where the situation is steadily getting worse and you're worried about what's going to happen to Hetty. Obviously, on some level, you know that she's going to be okay because she has an entire career in Hollywood ahead of her, but at the same time, it's really hard to see how she's going to get there, how she's going to get out of her abusive marriage and the crumbling political situation that happens as Hitler comes to power and so on. But I think that this style, this very fast-paced style, is also really reflective of Hetty's life in general because she was a person who was 
always on the move, always getting stuff done, always focused on the future rather than on the past. And that's really admirable how the book is able to convey that mindset through its pacing. All right, now let's move on to more critical thoughts I have about this book. And from there, we'll segue into the actual conversation that I want to have today about these kinds of books in general, these historical fiction books that recreate the lives of real women. The first criticism I have is the style of this book. Now, Obviously, style is one of the most subjective criticisms that you can make, but precisely because it is so subjective, I think it's one of the most important factors when it comes to your reading experience. Here's an example of this book's style. It's a passage from the third chapter of the book where we're still getting backstory on Hetty and her life up to this point. Acting had been a ward against childhood loneliness. A way to fill my quiet existence was people beyond the ever-present nanny and tutor, but the ever-absent mama and papa. It started as the simple creation of characters and stories for my mini dolls on an impromptu stage created under the huge desk in Papa's study. But then, unexpectedly, role-playing became much, much more. When I went to school and suddenly became introduced to a wide, dizzying array of people, acting became my way of moving through the world a sort of currency upon which I could draw whenever I needed. I could become whatever those around me secretly longed for, and I, in turn, got whatever I wanted from them. It wasn't until I stepped on my first stage, however, that I comprehended the breadth of my gift. I could bury myself and assume the mask of an entirely different person, one crafted by a writer or a director. I could turn my gaze on the audience and wield my capacity to influence them. I think that passage gives you a pretty good idea of the writing style of this book because it's basically like that all the way through. Now, I'm going to start with some positive thoughts I have on this writing style because I'm not trying to say that it's a subjectively bad style or anything, because it's definitely not. I think it has a lot of benefits. One obvious benefit that I see to this style is that it's easy to execute consistently. It's not particularly complex or convoluted or trying to do anything artsy. And consistent styles are pleasant to read. They don't jar your inner ear with tonal shifts or abrupt changes. The second benefit I see is that it's a highly approachable style. Because it's relatively straightforward and so consistent, the style itself fades into the background, which is good, obviously. You don't want readers noticing the style unless it's a deliberate choice that's enriching the reading experience in some way. 
And the final benefit is, of course, that this style is very clean, very polished, obviously the result of a lot of practice. Despite being deceptively simple, you can absolutely tell that it's designed specifically to draw the reader into the story and carry them along until the end. It complements the fast pace of the book really well, and when you put it all together, you have a historical fiction book that is very obviously built to appeal to a wide audience looking for an informative, exciting, but not particularly deep experience. Because the drawback to this style and to the book in general is that it doesn't really allow for the development of the protagonist's inner life beyond developing convincing enough internal motivations to keep the story moving to get us to the next event in the protagonist's life. Everything we learn about Hetty is as superficial as it can get away with being because we need to hurry up and get to the next chapter, to the next interesting thing. And that's the fundamental problem I have with this style. It's convincing enough to keep you reading, but it's not convincing enough to make you feel like Hetty's a real character. And she doesn't need to be because she's a real person and we all know that. It's a style that was developed specifically for this kind of book. And it only gets away with being the way it is because it's this kind of book. And while I do recognize that there's a kind of admirable efficiency and practicality to it, that doesn't necessarily mean that I like it. Because this kind of style just isn't evocative or poetic or interesting. And it isn't going to make me remember this book in any meaningful way other than, oh, I guess now I know more about Hedy Lamar than I used to. And we'll circle back to this aspect when we get to today's discussion in a bit. Before we get there, though, I do have a couple of other criticisms of this book specifically that I want to point out. So the first thing that I want to point out is that this book ends at the height of Hetty's Hollywood career when she's in her late 20s. And the reason I bring this up is because it seems so strange to end the book there as though women's lives are only interesting while they're still young. And I do need to qualify this statement with two important disclaimers. First, the book ending at that point is a strategic decision as much as it is anything else, since we're ending at the height of Hetty's career, both as an actress and also as a scientist. It's bittersweet, but also triumphant and dramatic as a conclusion to this journey that we've been on with Hetty. Secondly, it's not just this book that does this, obviously. Most books in general tend to focus on young people, and books about women specifically 
tend to focus on women who are in their early to mid-twenties. But when we're reading about real women in particular, it gives me a kind of strange feeling to have this book in there when Hetty still has so much of her life ahead of her. And the other thing I wanted to touch on was how disappointed I was that there was really nothing about the actual movies that Hedy Lamar made. There is one chapter about her filming her very first movie, and then after that we get periodic references to what she thinks about various co-stars or what movie she's currently working on, but that's pretty much it. And for a book about someone who was a movie star, I guess that was kind of disappointing. I understand that that part of her life isn't really a focus of this book, but I guess I just think that if you're writing a book about a famous movie star, it feels like a little bit of a missed opportunity not to include the actual movies and movie making processes a little bit more. But maybe that's just me. I mean, I probably am abnormally interested in reading about how these old Hollywood films were made. So it's not like a major issue or anything. It's probably just a me thing. But I thought I would bring it up, especially if anyone who is planning to read this book and was expecting that kind of content is listening because now you know. That kind of content is not in this book. Okay, so that's everything about this book specifically. Now I want to get into a more general discussion about the fictional recreation of real women and in particular what I call the distinction between historical fiction and fictionalized history. And don't worry, we'll get to what I mean by that in a minute. First, however, I do want to talk a little bit about my reading experiences in this particular subgenre. Historical fiction centered around real women and what it's been like to read these books. I'm mostly talking about today's book, The Only Woman in the Room, but also to some extent, two of the books that we discussed in my earlier episode on recreating real women, the Diamond Eye, and The Second Mrs. Astor. While reading these books, I noticed that no matter who I was reading about, two things were always true. They were consistently true. First, it was so tempting to look up that person's Wikipedia page and get quote-unquote spoilers. This was especially true for books where there was any kind of suspense, but it was also true for instances where I was just so surprised by what was happening, which was definitely my experience when I was reading the book we're talking about today, The Only Woman in the Room. I knew nothing about Hedy Lamar's early life, and so basically the entire first half of the book, I was just going wait, really? And I was just so tempted to go to her Wikipedia page and start reading, you know, to see if it really happened. Which brings me to the second thing that was consistently true across all of these books, 
wondering how much of the book was true and how much of it wasn't. There's an interesting and very delicate balance that exists when it comes to reading and also writing these kinds of books. Because these books are historical fiction, there's no expectation or guarantee that anything in these books relating to real people is true at all. Period. Full stop. What happens in these books doesn't need to be true. And in fact, expecting these books to be historically accurate at all is the opposite of how you should read these books. If you want facts, you need to pick up a biography or, you know, if you don't want to pay for a biography or find one in your library, library, then you should just go to the Wikipedia page and start there. But at the same time, and this is where the balancing act comes in and where I think we can raise some interesting questions. At the same time, I think it's most often true that readers pick up these books because they're interested in the real lives of these protagonists. And many of these readers would never have even heard of these real people or been interested in reading about these people if these historical fiction books didn't exist. So I guess maybe we can ask, are these considerations that authors are aware of? Are these considerations that authors should take into account? What do authors owe to these real women, if anything? And what do they owe to their readers? When you read today's book, The Only Woman in the Room, it's pretty clear that this book's author does feel a certain responsibility when it comes to being historically accurate and sticking to the facts to the point where it honestly might be a little detrimental when it comes to creating a work of fiction. Let me explain what I mean. Let's talk about historical fiction, and in particular, when historical fiction becomes fictionalized history. Let's begin with a few general observations about historical fiction, about writing fiction centered around real people. First, unless you're writing a historical epic that's a thousand pages long, most books are only 200 to 300 pages long, 400 to 500 if you're feeling really ambitious. The entire life from birth to death of anyone interesting enough to be writing historical fiction about isn't going to entirely fit in a normal-sized book. Second, the lives of historically significant people are likely to be filled with interesting events, enough events that you're going to have to pick and choose which to focus on and which ones to skim over or leave out entirely. And more importantly, what events or time periods you choose to focus on are going to affect the type of character you end up creating. Because we're not really the same people throughout our lives. We're not the same at the height of our success as we are when we're older and slowing down or younger and trying to reach that success. 
And so it's not surprising that when it comes to writing about someone as interesting as Hedy Lamar, the author would want to cover as many of the interesting parts of Hedy's life as possible. The juicy bits, the dramatic bits, the parts that you don't really have to dress up too much to have a compelling story. So we get Hedy's career as an acclaimed stage actress in Vienna. We get her abusive marriage to Fritz Mandel, the merchant of death. We get her dramatic escape from her marriage. We get the incredible story of how she convinced MGM to give her a chance at being a Hollywood actress. We get the rise of her Hollywood career. We get her most impressive invention as a scientist. We get the amazing story of how she managed to raise incredible amounts of money for the American war effort. But the problem, as I mentioned earlier, is that when you have so much happening in a medium-sized book, you don't get a whole lot of depth. You don't really get too deep into Hetty's mind or her emotions or the ramifications of everything she had to go through. And so with a book like this, you don't get historical fiction so much as you get fictionalized history. Fictionalized history is my term, obviously, but it's my term for when you essentially get the Sparknotes version of a real event or of a real person's life. It feels a lot like someone took the Wikipedia article and dramatized it, dressed it up as fiction. Historical fiction, to me, is a lot more complex than that. Historical fiction is where you take historical facts and you do something interesting with them. And yes, filling in the blank spaces of a person's life can be one way of doing something interesting with historical facts, guessing at the person's motivations or thoughts or emotions. But here's the thing, right? Any halfway decent biography already does the same thing and you know, with a lot more facts to back it up since biographies have to back up their conjectures. We don't need historical fiction to play the role that biographies already do. If you're going to write historical fiction about a real person, don't just do it to tell the person's life story. I mean, we can get that somewhere else. Do it because you have something to say. Do it because you have an interesting take or a perspective that you can't tell any other way. Do it because there's something about that person's life or experiences that makes you ask, what if? Take this book, for example, The Only Woman in the Room. As you can probably guess from the title, the main message of the book is just misogyny is bad. Do I think that's a valuable message? Yes, of course. Do I think that this book in its current form has something interesting to say about that message? Unfortunately, my answer is going to be not really. Do I think that a book about Hedy Lamar could have something powerful to say about this? Yes, of course. But... 
I think that in order to say something powerful about it, you'd have to pick an event or a specific narrow time frame and really delve down into it. Actually do the work of going into Hetty's psyche. Actually think through the nuances of what her thoughts and emotions and feelings would be. Actually come up with something a little more nuanced beyond misogyny is bad. It's an important message, you know, but it's one that's been said often enough that if you wanted to have any actual impact, you're going to have to say it a little differently than everyone else. Overall, I think that when it comes to historical fiction centered around real people, so much of the story is often carried by the uniqueness of true events and true lives and the interest that readers have in these events or in these people. But I think that a lot of the time, even when these books are competently executed, as is definitely the case for this book, they don't really do justice to these real, very important stories. And I guess I think that especially when you're talking about someone as incredible as Hedy Lamar, it really feels like a missed opportunity. So I guess my point is... If you're trying to write a novel about real people or real events, don't write fictionalized history. Write historical fiction. To wrap up, I'm going to say that this book, The Only Woman in the Room, is a certified staying up until 2am book. Like I said earlier, this book is very fast-paced, both due to its structure and also due to its subject matter, and the first half is definitely a page turner. The second half does drag a bit, mostly due to the fact that you're just kind of waiting for something to happen. Hetty is obviously no longer in physical danger, and as a rising Hollywood star, she obviously is living a pretty comfortable life, so you're just kind of like, well, what next, you know? But regardless, this definitely is a book that I enjoyed reading and which I finished pretty quickly. Now, whether or not I'll remember much of it is a different question, but if you're interested at all in the life of Hedy Lamar, then I think you'll find it an engaging book, and if you know nothing about her, then I guess it's a more interesting starting point than her Wikipedia article. Although, I think you should read that too, honestly. She she just led such an interesting life. And also, you know, the number of her marriages is pretty competitive with Elizabeth Taylor. Anyway, alright, that's everything for this week. This has been the 2AM Book Review Club. Thanks so much for joining me, and I'll be back next week at 2am. Until then, have a great week, and happy book travels!